I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. I manhandle that little baby. Hello, children or adults, I guess. It's football and other F words. Good morning, good afternoon, however you're listening to us. Uh, we're brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. If this is the first time you've heard me saying this, welcome in. If not, and you saw it going to Broadway, I just I don't know what to do with you anymore. Go, for the love of God, and check us out. Grab yourself a membership um, and share our podcast with other people. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Zach Lyons. And, of course, you've got me, Michael Gillum. And we are going to talk about the Tennessee Titans um, because I don't know where to start. <laughs> We've got bullet points on, on exactly how to break down this multifaceted Chernobyl bullshit of a football game. Um, but before we get to that, how are you, Zach? Uh, I've been better. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I pretty much am apathetic towards now Sunday's game. I'm sure I will, you know, find that re-energizing hatred and rage just boiling up. It's already happening. I'm already feeling, you know, this intense pressure on my chest as I am going to probably go on to a uh, explicit, just laden, filled with, you know, cuss words and tirade and probably words that don't even make sense. So, you know, it's, it's, it's coming. The rage is boiling up to the surface after a calm 24 hours. Yeah, I, I cursed in languages that don't exist. I, I, and I, and I went through all the typical stages of grief. You know, there was a point in the game where I just laughed through my hands. And oh, I was <laughs> laughing yeah. hysterically at one point. Yeah, I was just like, oh, there it is. Fuck it. Yes. And then at some point during the game, someone tweeted out like, oh, you know, the Titans are like 53% on third down today. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. That's things are going perfectly. Um, I, let me start with Monday Night Football real quick. I, I won't dwell too much on this. And I know Twitter has already made a huge deal out of it. But I want to I, I do want to reemphasize that the Manning cast was really damn good. And I was very skeptical going into it. Now, let me say this for those who possibly didn't get to watch it or missed it. The first 15 or 20 minutes didn't start that great because it's, it looked like the producers had like canned in a bunch of jokes for them to hit on. But I felt like once the producers just let it kind of go off the rails and let it turn into two guys, two brothers who have not watched football together since like 1993, I think is what they said on the broadcast, which is pretty wild, but it makes sense between college and pro um, it, it was a lot of fun. They had in special guests. They, they were calling up a former and current NFL players to react live on the game with them, which again, started out a little awkward, but actually ended up being kind of fun. They brought on Ray Lewis. And my first reaction was to roll my eyes because Ray Lewis drives me up the wall. And he did exactly what he usually does. He bloviates too much. There was even a point in the middle of his speech where they just, they literally just went to commercial in the middle of Ray Lewis talking. But as as even people like Ray Lewis got comfortable with the fact they were just watching game and talking football knowledge, it, it suddenly became really enjoyable to watch. The end of the game, they had Russell Wilson on, which, again, I'm not a big Russell Wilson fan, and his personality is pretty wooden. I mean, he's Mr. Unlimited, for Christ's sakes. But he, even he was enjoyable to watch by the end of the game. I want to see more of this. I think they've hit on a gold mine and I actually kind of feel sorry for the standard Monday night live crew because they, they there's no way they got off and got on social media 
and looked at that and said, oh, great. <laughs> no one gives a shit what we were doing in front of the mic. You all like Manning. Well, this is essentially why we started this podcast, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's it's guys who have, uh, well, in their case, they play football, but it's guys that generally get along and they break down and talk the game like they were fans. I mean, they were like fans last night when, um, I, I can't remember which score it was, but it was the score with Russell Wilson in there. And there's just a screenshot of the... Um, the Raiders, I believe, scoring, and they're yeah the the Ravens get the interception. Derek Carr throws the interception, and the Ravens get it in the end zone, and they are all just like hands up in the air. Peyton Manning's head is in his hands in his lap, yeah. and then like Eli's just like oh no, and I think they were getting a little drunk too. So it just reminded, it just kind of reminds you that there are players that are like us and they're very much like us. Like I, could you imagine if Tom Brady had Skyped in with Peyton Manning and Eli, the jokes that would have been flying around and everything be it's just to me, this is what football is all about. You, you learn some knowledge and you have some fun. You're not sitting there listening to fucking Jason Witten or, um, you know, Booger McFarlane on his Booger Mobile. You don't need that stuff. You need people that genuinely love the game and are allowed some free range to talk about it and not have to be so uptight and buttoned up. Well, and that's, I'm glad to see that there's going to be more of these. And you're right. They've got to get Tom Brady on at some point this season because I was actually a little surprised when they started getting on current NFL players. I didn't think they were going to do that because you could almost see like Kelsey and, and, Russell Wilson were definitely a little hesitant to answer football related questions sometimes in detail because, you know, Peyton Manning would specifically ask him like cover two package. What are you looking for? And it's, you could see the trepidation in the current competitor versus just a football fan who really wanted to answer the question in detail versus like, I don't really want to give an opponent a live read into what I'm thinking live on TV. Right. So that was a really neat dichotomy, but you're exactly right about it was just guys watching football, just people watching football and reacting to it live as we do. And I love seeing it, but it also captured kind of that Tony Romo-esque magic of um, Eli Manning, for example, right <clears throat> as the Raiders look like they were just going to completely cough this thing up. They get it all the way down to like the half yard line and Eli said, the last thing you want to do here is a hard count. That's going to get you like centimeters. And as he's saying that the Raiders and Derek Carr go hard count and they get a false start and it backs them up. And then Peyton Manning is getting frustrated because the crowd won't shut up. And, and Peyton is notorious for talking about that. And he's right. But he chided Denver's crowd all the time for being too loud. And he was doing that with the Raiders crowd. It was fantastic to see those little things right there. I really, really liked the, that. The Titans fans used to, to do that. We'll get into the Titans fans probably not even – they won't – the Tennessee Titans in the next home game against the Colts may not have to worry about how loud it is in the stadium uh, because of Titans fans. But back in Vince Young and Kerry Collins' days and a little bit into the Marcus days, there were times where I'd go to a home game and everybody would be up while we're on offense. And I'm like, whoa, 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 we're supposed to be quiet. We're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so good job by ESPN. I'm glad to see this is going to go on. I, I the do one not put them in a booth. Don't <clears throat> do, do it. not yet. Yeah, don't put them in the booth. Like let them keep doing what they're doing. I really hope ESPN kind of leaves this alone. The only tweak I really wish they would make. I'm sure they're not going to do it. Because more fire ad- alarms. More fu- definitely more fire alarms. But they've got to let these guys talk a little bit into the commercial break. They're unfortunately Eli and, and Peyton would be going on a good roll about something, or they'd have a guest on. There was multiple times Travis Kelsey was going on a pretty good speech about whatever package you were in, that kind of thing. And then Peyton's like, "Oh, we got to go to commercial. Hold that thought. We got to go to commercial." And it was it was awkward. So I, I hope they kind of figure that piece out. But shit, ESPN, you've got a good thing there. And I really like it. And it's upstaging your main broadcast. And I'm all here for it because Monday Night Football has been stale as hell for a while. Yeah, I'm with you. <clears throat> do you do you um, you want to talk about this Titans game? <laughs> I, mean, I guess. <laughs> it's just it's like the way I feel about it is. You know, when you're in a bad relationship and you've been arguing for days and it hasn't gotten better and then you wake up and you realize you got to solve this, right? but there's so many different items you have to address. There's so many different little issues that you all need to work out. Like that's how I feel about talking about this game two days after the fact is that there's just like, I can't just sit here and say the Titans look bad. Let's move on to week two because there were so many items that looked like pure shit. And I'm just gonna have to pick one and start. And the one I'm going to pick is coaching. So we're going to start from the coaching standpoint. A lot of these items feed in together, so bear with us. But this team looked like a group that had never set foot on the field together. It looked like someone just picked an offense, a defense, and a special teams unit, taped it together like some haphazard broken coffee cup, and stuck it on the field. And it just, it felt like someone just went into Madden and was like, oh, these players, let's put them on a team and see how it works. The offense looked completely out of sync. The defense was trash. We'll get to that. The kicking was trash and the Titans no longer have a kicker. And I got to put that on coaching. And let me throw this back to something Peyton Manning said last night. Is that Peyton Manning kept going on and on and on about how this is why Lamar Jackson needed more time in preseason. You'll want to get in sync with your offense, this and that. I know a lot of fans, including myself, made a lot of excuses for, oh, the, the, you know, Vrabel knows what's best. She's not going to play him in the preseason. There's a reason why they haven't practiced together. They're in sync. They really don't need that much development time. And I kind of feel like a fool saying that, and I'm going to put it on coaching. I really think this offense should have been out there getting more in sync with each other than what we physically saw on news reports from camp and all of that. Am I wrong there? No. um, You know, I I don't know where I land on this. Uh, And I talked about this in our group chat yesterday because, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about it and obviously there's, if, Obviously, Peyton Manny would know more than most people would, right? But I still go to the fact that the majority of this offense is made up of players that have played in the league for a long time. 
right. and have played with each other for a long time outside of Julio Jones. There is nothing that these 10 other players are doing that there 10 other players have played with each other. What why is there a need for and and for them to gel? Why can't they gel? So outside of Julio Jones, it's there's 10 other people that looked listless. They looked lifeless. And is that because of of them not having a few snaps in preseason or not having a little bit of time in offseason? I'm sure it, it could be. But it's still no real excuse. Like right. to me, that that's the problem I have with it is that you're just you're finding an easy excuse instead of saying, well, here's here's 11 professionals. One is a Hall of Fame wide receiver who's never played with the, this team before. Sure, he may be a little out of sync. But what's the excuse for the other 10 fucking losers that were on the field? <laughs> and to me, that's where the, it does get into coaching a little bit in the fact that Todd Downing did nobody any favors on offense. Shane Bowen, well, he's basically might as well not be a defensive coordinator because it's the same fucking defense we saw last year. And Mike Vrabel is the same egotistical dumbass who decided that, oh, is this the analytical guy talking on fourth and one? Mute. Because he goes for a field goal and he's like, oh, I just need some points. If I had a crystal ball that my kicker who fucking missed an extra point earlier wasn't going to make his field goal from a further out, I probably wouldn't have gone uh, for the kick. I would have done this. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That is, I hate that bullshit excuse that you felt like you needed a crystal ball to know that a kicker that you just got onto the team on Friday that has never kicked a field goal for you in a game and missed an extra point earlier wasn't going to make the field goal that you needed to get three points give me a fucking break it's fourth and one if you don't have any that to me shows you have no faith in Todd Downing that you have no faith in this offense and maybe he's right to not have faith because oh, let me say something this team looked like shit all day all three phases but spare me that you need a crystal ball, that you need Miss Cleo to come down and call you on a winning 100 line to let you know that Michael Badgley's probably not going to make this kick. That fourth and one, going for it, works about 90% of the time. It's, it's utterly ridiculous, the excuses that he makes and his reasoning. I know he's frustrated after a game. He doesn't want to go talk to the, the, the shithole that is the media. <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. I don't blame him. But you know what? He needs to start holding himself a little bit more accountable, especially if he wants his players to hold themselves accountable, whether it's fake accountability or not from certain players. But I'm sick. I'm just sick of I'm sick of seeing in our losses under the Mike Vrabel era. It's the same fucking reasons. He doesn't go for it when he's supposed to go for it. He gets a little too cute here and there. The offense has long developing plays. They don't adjust in the middle of the in at halftime. They just continue on doing what they're supposed to be doing. The staff isn't putting players in in places that they should succeed. He's treating Michael Badgley, who again was signed two days before the game, as Super Bowl winning kicker Stephen Gostowski when that's not what he is. You know, he's treating they're they're leaving Taylor Lewan and Questenberry on islands all damn game, and they're just getting letting their quarterback get fucked by Chandler Jones. And then on top of that, 
they're doing these long developing plays and not helping Ryan Tannehill. They're not using the pass at all. And then the defense is just the same. It's the same shitty ass defense. It's they allow three different touchdowns on third downs. They've allowed over 50% of the third down conversions. See, I told you guys, as more I talk about it, the angrier I get and it's not, it's not healthy. That's what I'm talking about. You wake up, you realize like we got to start this argument again. And then all of a sudden 20 minutes later, you find yourself back in the same position. Everyone's pissed. You're using language. You probably shouldn't. I, this is okay. I'm going to go off on a side rant about kicking and it has to do with coaching. Emily proud friend of the podcast tweets out yesterday. uh, That the Titans in the last two seasons, plus week one of 2001 have had nine kickers, Santos, Parkey, Santoso, Gostowski, Sloman, Tavecchio, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Ficken, McCann, and Badgley, none of which are on the roster. This is going to be the one few times. I, I don't really like to do this, but I'm going to have to my own horn. I was right, and I've been right the whole time, and I've been right what I've been ranting about for a year. The kicking is not only a problem, it's a big deal. And the fact that this team cannot find and lock down and sign one motherfucking kicker to stick around for multiple years absolutely makes me want to beat the shit out of something. It's, it should be so simple to just lock down a kicker for two to three years and get it over with. I I just, I just don't know what else to do. It's like someone who keeps running out of gas and you tell them there's a needle and there's a fucking light. And all you have to do is look at it. And one of those two items will tell you, go get gas. When you're going through nine kickers in one and a half years, and you're, you keep answering the same question, Mike Vrabel about, Oh, we don't think, kicking's a problem it's not a big deal we've worked it on the offset fuck off you have not worked it out and now we don't have a kicker they literally don't have a kicker listed on the roster now now you've got now you've got me on the side you're at where i'm just pissed and ranting well we'll say this we didn't lose because of kicking (laughs) no i mean there's yeah there's There's give you that feather feather, we were both right right i said we'd never (laughs) lose a game because of kicking but you said we needed a kicker we ended up being both right in one game this goes right back to what I was saying when we started about the arguments. We're both winning on semantics. <laughs> and I just let, let me let me let me chill out for a second and say this. Breathe. Woosah. I just don't I'm like you in coach speak is coach speak, and we know that. And you know certain coaches are always going to give it to you. Fine. But I just I don't like that in retrospect, Rabel continues to act like certain issues are not a problem when they continue to be a problem. Analytics, refusing to change how they approach fourth down scoring attempts like you brought up, the kicking thing where I passed out and just went crazy a second ago. I, I, like it's, it's little things like that. <clears throat> and the reason why I brought up what Peyton Manning said about offenses yelling in the offseason is not, I agree with you that I don't think a couple of extra snaps in the preseason would have solved what we saw out of the offense on Sunday. Absolutely, 100%. But you remember that little joke I made a couple weeks ago about the Texans didn't practice today. They had a team barbecue. Well, look they called in- off their training camp early, right? Or their meeting camp at some point, they called it off, you know, a couple of days early. Yeah. So, I'm going to be an asshole. Spare, uh, so, may, so just yeah. want to say, spare me a little bit of this, that the offseason matters. Yeah. Apparently, 
because apparently it doesn't. <laughs> apparently it doesn't. And here's where I'm going to be an, an ass and draw a parallel to something that probably doesn't deserve one. The Texans are in Seoul first place after week <laughs> one. Like we all thought. Relatively competent for the mishmashed offense they've got stapled together. Mishmashed team they've got stapled together. I, it, it should the... It, it, Maybe the Titans should just had a fucking cookout. They should have had something because what I Applebee's. see, <laughs> I'm gonna stab that commercial. I'm gonna find, I'm gonna humanize that commercial and stab it. But, but in all seriousness, Zach, like this team should have found some way to gel in the offseason better than they did. Because you're right, this this is not a group of rookies that have been brought in fresh and they don't know how to work with each other. This is a group of people that have been in the NFL for a while, not only together, but as individuals, Tannehill and the like. What are you doing? How do you look so frustrated? Have you ever seen Derrick Henry marching up and down the sideline, getting in the ass of his own offense? I've never seen that. And there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, Derrick Henry. Man up. Be more of a leader on the sidelines. That's exactly what you need to see. But you know what the cynical side of me says? He realizes in game one that they have a T-total culture problem. And Mike Vrabel even talked a little bit about culture afterwards. I'm going to butcher his words. It says it right here. We'll find, I actually have it up. Uh, We'll find out what our culture looks like this week. How can you say that? Are you serious? You, that's the kind of thing you say when you have a team full of rookies. Not a team full of NFL vets and an NFL team that has, has been playing together for multiple years now. That bothers me. Now, that maybe that's misspeak. Maybe he said something he, he wishes he could take back because he didn't mean the way the words were stapled together, but that bugs me. And, and I pair that up with seeing Derrick Henry go crazy on the sidelines, thinking the same thing again. I'm connecting things together that probably don't deserve to be connected, but that falls on coaching. That you bugs what, the shit out of me. You know what bugs me about it is that you see Jadavian Clowney go over to Cleveland and he practices. Yeah. He's yes. there for the entire offseason. He practices that when he's when he's not, you know, uh, sick or whatever. I know he got sick at some point, but he practices. <clears throat> and we know that he didn't really practice over here. And then we know that Julio Jones didn't really ever practice over in Atlanta. We knew that coming in. But I felt like he probably practiced a little bit more than what he did here. AJ Brown didn't really practice, you know, a lot of maintenance days and all and mystery injuries and all this stuff. And that all plays into it. But something else that's concerning to me, where was the big event, the big player event where they all go out and do something? You know, they've they've gone skeet shooting a couple of times or they do they go out and do different things together as a group. None of that this year. I don't know if that's because of the covid concerns that that linger around, but you're right. This team, this team didn't look like a team. And, you know, let's get into this whole Taylor Lewan and the offense and stuff. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if you want to get into the offense first. Or no, Taylor I can't Lewan talk about first. coaching anymore. But <laughs> T- Taylor Lewan saw his quarterback get put on the his ass multiple times because mm. of him and just stood over him. What the fuck kind of bullshit is that? You don't even attempt to get your hands off your hip to reach down to help your quarterback up who's on his back because of you? What the yeah. fuck was that? Yeah, that I, is that was something that I picked up on in and I'm thinking this whole team 
just doesn't seem to give a shit at, at some point in the game. I don't know when it exactly happened, but Taylor Lewan not even showing any kind of remorse, any kind of regret, any kind of fire that he lets Chandler Jones beat him like a drum and beat up his own quarterback was very telling to me. It, it was to the point where I'm thoroughly disgusted with Taylor Lewan and, and having one good game against the Seahawks is not going to erase that stupid ass tweet that he puts out and after the game talking about, Oh, thank you Chandler Jones for exposing me. You're a fucking former all pro. You're one of the supposedly one of the best left tackles in the league. What the fuck are you even tweeting about? You know, I, just shut up. Just at this point, just shut up. Yeah. And we said it last year. I think he sent some stupid ass tweet last year. It's like a, it's like a, I guess a tradition for him, you know, if that's your, if that's your dad, Nashville Titans fans, uh, you should put in papers to get uh, what is it, um, extirpated or what is it? Like, help me out here. What's the name? What is it's, it? You can divorce your parents from you, but there's yeah. another word for it. Yeah, that you you, you got whatever that file, file for divorce because <laughs> for that. yeah because give me a fucking break. This guy's never deserved to be called Nashville's dad or Tennessee Titans dad. It's fucking weird anyway, but the way that he just handled himself, his demeanor throughout the whole game was atrocious and embarrassing. This whole team, this whole offense was embarrassing on many levels, but he himself was an embarrassment. And it's, it's not going to take just one good game from the Seahawks or one good game against the Colts and all this stuff. You know, I'm going to have to see a lot of good Taylor Lewan, and he's got to have to stay healthy before I get back on the train of Taylor Lewan's one of the best left tackles in the league because he doesn't deserve to be called one of the best left tackles in the league because currently he's not. He's a bottom-tier left tackle. doesn't mean he can't rebound, right? That's the whole point. Everything's nuanced, right? doesn't mean that, first off, the Tennessee Titans aren't ever going to win a game again, right? They sucked this game. Doesn't mean they'll continue to suck. And, it, and Taylor Lewan blew chunks all over himself in the field. Doesn't mean that he can't rebound and become one of the better left tackles. He's coming off an injury. He he's a little rusty. I get it. I get all that. I get all those excuses for especially. I call them excuses because he's a pro. You know, he's been in the league for a while, and he got absolutely embarrassed. And it wasn't just his play on the field. Like I keep saying, it was his demeanor when Ryan Tannehill's sitting there on his back, struggling to get up off the ground, and he's just sitting there looking at him with his hands on the hip, like "Whoopsie Daisy." Yeah, no, I. So I agree with spare that. me this. He's not your father, and unless you are his actual daughter, and he, he's he, just get over it. I mean, you you don't have to defend these players just because they have a podcast that you enjoy. I, I don't need people to defend me. Taylor Lewan doesn't need people to defend him. And let me tell you something. He doesn't give a shit if you do or not. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care that you're one of the boys. He doesn't know you. He's not there to see you defend him in replies and say, oh, but this and this and this. He's, he's our dad. Dad's having a rough day. Well, fuck it. I mean, that guy sucked. And he was one of the reasons that this offense could not move the ball. is because he fucking sucked this game. He's a, he was a dad's, loser. Dad's having a rough day. Yeah. <laughs> it's the damn truth. 
don't defend people just because you like them in front of a microphone or they're a funny entity. That, I'm sorry. They, you're exactly right. The cold hard truth is they don't know who you are and they probably don't care to know who you are. You, you're a means to an end. Doesn't make you a bad person. I look, I'm a fan of shows. I'm a fan of local shows. There are radio shows that we talk about that we really like. It doesn't mean I always agree with Buck Rising or Chad Withrow or Jonathan Utton or Paul Karski or whoever. You can have, you can disagree with people and still like their product. You can disagree with Taylor Wan and still like his podcast. You can disagree with the way the guy plays and acts on the field and acts on social media and still enjoy his content. You can't tweet out, got my ass kicked today, no way around it. I let down the team and the fans. Thank you, Chandler Jones, for exposing me. Will only force me to get better when what you're a fucking loser ass tweet. That's when, such a loser tweet. You're eight years in the league. You can't tweet that. I'm sorry. You get well, okay. Can you go nuts? Does it make sense to tweet? Does it make you look like an ass? It does. And I heard Buck Rising talking about on a show yesterday that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Taylor One apparently reads his mentions quite a bit. He gets all up in his feelings about reading social media. <laughs> I've heard Will Compton references, and I believe he referenced it on our podcast about I I can't. You can't focus on what people are saying about you on social media. And if he truly does get on social media reads about himself, that's not going to help because fans were all over his ass on social media and rightfully so. I mean, okay, I, I say rightfully so. People, some people tweeted some horrific shit. Don't do that. But, buddy, you're, you're eight years in the league, man. You're all pro, pro bowler. You can't tweet out things like it will only force me to get better. We expect you to be better right now. Chandler Jones, I really, I, I hate specific stats because I feel like broadcasters will pull them out of their ass to try to fill time as things go. But this stat really bugged the shit out of me when I heard it. Red Zone was the first place I heard it, and then the AP got a hold of it. Chandler Jones is the first player that has sacked an opponent three times in the first quarter of the first game, the first regular season game since sacks have been tracked since 1982. There's a good chance he may be the first player that's ever done it. Basically, he's the first player to ever come out of the blocks and get in a quarterback's ass three times in the opening quarter of a game, of, of the opening game. What that says is that right off the rip, your O-line in the first 10 fucking minutes of the game couldn't get their shit together. And I use that to transition into, it's hard to see if the offense could maintain a competent package, if the O-line can't even work. I tweeted out some stupid meme about how much do we miss Dennis Kelly right now, right? Wolverine holding the picture of, <laughs> of whoever it's got Dennis it, Kelly. It blew it. up. And it blew up, right? But in all seriousness, the right-hand side of the line didn't look right. The left-hand side of the line didn't look right. Lawan standing there with his hands on his hips as his quarterbacks get buried into the ground five times. This O-line was so fucking embarrassing, and they this this offense didn't have a shot from the opening snap of this game. The opening snap, and it's on the O-line. Well, this was definitely an Art Smith offense. It just wasn't an Art Smith-called game. That's right. the difference in the game, is that the play calling never adjusted. The play calling didn't really have any kind of this play builds to this play and this play builds to the next play. There was no cohesiveness in the play calling. And then my, my biggest gripe is, okay, you see that Taylor Lewan is struggling. You see that the both tackles really were struggling in certain game in certain parts of the game. 
but you're not providing any kind of relief in two different ways. You're not providing any kind of relief for maybe a tight end on Taylor Lewan's side, and you're not providing a relief from doing quick passing plays. Instead, you're doing long developing routes that take a long time to develop down the field for whatever reason, letting and making forcing Ryan Tannehill to hold on to the ball longer, which allows Chandler Jones or JJ Watt to come grab his ass and throw him to the ground. And look, I get it. You're probably as a coach thinking that Taylor Lewan could pull himself out of it, but I just don't think he, his heart wasn't in the game. You could tell his heart and his mental mentality was not in that game. And so he wasn't going to pull himself out. You have to adjust at halftime. The fact that they came out at halftime and didn't really adjust a damn thing is a problem. The offensive line was obviously a huge issue and they did nothing that they could have done within their power from the coaching aspect of things to adjust for it, to help help the team get back on the right track. I mean, it took midway through the third quarter, Derrick Henry was nine yards on 10 carries. And, you know, they didn't throw manage a first down until well into the second quarter. At some point, that falls into the offensive, uh, the play calling that you have to adjust it and you have to pull out something different. And... The Ryan Tannehill bootleg, naked bootleg play that they ran or whatever, where he just got creamed, I mean, just destroyed. If I ever, yeah, if I ever see that fucking play ever again, I, I am calling child services to, to, to come arrest Todd Downing. Take Ryan Tannehill away, put him on the bench. I don't know. Give me a fucking break that that was a play against this team where there was a wide open linebacker coming in and just destroying Tannehill, your star quarterback. This it was so such a bad display of ineptitude everywhere that it reminded me of like 2015 Tennessee Titans offense, which was one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. And the 2020 defense, Titans defense, which is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Like it was just those two things at a moment of time in one game where just nothing went right and the team didn't care. And I, I, I wanted to transition to talk about the defense, but then I start thinking about kicking again and it pisses me off. But I, I, I will say this, switching to the other side of the ball, the defense, which I'm actually going to defend after I make this comment, 53.8%, I believe, as I lose it on my page, 53.8% on third down, worse than 2020. Yes, it's one game, but the one fucking thing that I wanted to see the Titans do right, well, besides the offense actually operating, was Titans getting off the field on third down. And sure as shit, they couldn't do it, and they actually found a way to do it worse. And I said last week on the podcast that that would be the one thing that I felt like you could point at and be like, okay, that we could freak out about. <laughs> I'm glad to say I was right, Ooh, but we have a whole game to freak out about. So I'm not even going to wallow on that. 53.8%, dude, I can't deal with that. Third down drives me up the wall. I tweeted to Emily Proud and she tweeted back something really hilarious, which was, so I, I missed the Emily Proud third down tracker this year. Where is it? She said, my therapist has recommended removing negativity from my life. 
Well, she may need to to, uh, move to a different state. Well, several plays later, several series later, when the Titans are still getting their ass kicked on third down, I tweeted her back and said, do you have the number for that therapist? Because I just, I can't, I I cannot, I can't deal with the, the third down shit again for another season. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that will legit make me turn these games off. Like it's one thing if you can't get off the field on third and one, third and two, third and short. Titans again were blowing third and 18, third and 10, third and extra yardage. Motherfucker, how? Like, how is that not the one thing that the coaching staff didn't look at their defense and say, I don't give a fuck if you don't sack the quarterback the entire game. We're going to fix third down. And again, and I'll come back to the sacks, but again, the Titans couldn't get off on third down. And they couldn't pressure the quarterback, or I'm sorry, maybe they pressured the quarterback, but they sure shit and couldn't touch him. Well, it goes back to what they all preached all week was that they want to capture, aka contain Kyler Murray instead of go for the kill, which is the sack. And there were many times where you thought, oh, they're going to sack him, and then they hesitate and stop and allow him to be, you know, that that toddler that you're talking about in the backfield, and he makes Mm -hmm. a, a, a play. And I, I don't really know where I want to start with this defense because there were bright spots. I, I yeah. don't really think it was as bad as the 2020 yes. defense. Yes. I think, I think the strategy of capture, not kill, when you had several killing opportunities, you had several opportunities to murder and get away with it, and they chose not to. I, I think that strategy was a little bad, and it got a little bit in their heads on some of these plays. But there were, there was a lot of good to take away from it. I think Bud Dupree did help Harold Landry look a whole lot better. I think the threat of Bud Dupree, Bud Dupree, he'll get to where he needs to be. I, I he showed some good instincts and everything. I, I thought that um, Christian Fulton played a really really great game against a decrepit AJ Green, who we have said numerous times that he is not the A.J. Green of old. So Christian Fulton did his job. His job was to make sure that A.J. Green was was kept to not making any kind of plays, and pretty much he did that awesomely. He had like over 60 snaps. He played the most snaps on defense. Christian Fulton had himself a hell of a game against a wide receiver too. Conversely, I do not think that the solution was putting Christian Fulton on DeAndre Hopkins because I think we'd be all saying a different tale of the tape today. Just because Christian Fulton is really good against a shitty-ass A.J. Green does not mean if you're going to put him on, you're basically saying that, oh, I can outrace this Pinto, this Ford Pinto, but I'm going to go over here and try now because I can do that. I can obviously outrace this Ferrari. No, that's not how life works. There is a very good chance that Christian Fulton allows DeAndre Hopkins an even worse stat line than Jackrabbit Jenkins because at least Jackrabbit Jenkins has a little bit of veteran savvy and a little and more technique and experience. Whatever your feelings are on Jackrabbit Jenkins and his performance, he kept DeAndre Hopkins under 100 yards. The only reason that DeAndre Hopkins got a score was because it was the most ridiculous catch that can happen right i mean it was an awesome catch yeah that's the thing tennessee titans fans think that above average or very good players 
should be on par with elite players. DeAndre Hopkins is an elite player. And I'm not using a watered-down version of the elite. I don't like using the word elite a lot. DeAndre Hopkins is an elite wide receiver in this league. And the Jack Rabbit Jenkins is nowhere near an elite cover corner at his age in this stage of his career. Now, he's still a very good above-average corner. And it showed because he only allowed DeAndre Hopkins to have 69 yards and one miraculous touchdown. <clears throat> Jack Rabbit Jenkins was not the problem. Christian Fulton would not have solved any of your DeAndre Hopkins issues. And in all reality, DeAndre Hopkins probably would have had a better stat line. The problem was the strategy, like I already discussed, and the fact that they refused to help the players that need to be helped. Much like Taylor Lewan on the offensive side, not getting any kind of help, they decide that they're going to put their third-round rookie on an island against a somewhat of a veteran. I mean, he's not like a veteran in the sense of it, but I mean, he's played a, in, the, in the league for three or four years, Christian Kirk, on an island and expect him to be able to match up athletically, even though that his athletic profile is nowhere near Christian Kirk's athletic profile, who is known for being an athletic wide receiver and being able to get open down the field, they provided Elijah Molden no help. They did him no favors. And now everybody wants to trash Elijah Molden based off that one bad play. Elijah Molden had other really good plays. That was a really bad play. But the Titans did him no favors by calling the the coverage like they did on that particular play. It's ridiculous. It's like uh, when the Bears... um, Apparently, according to Dan Orlovsky, got tricked by the eyes of uh, Matt Stafford, and they allowed Cooper Cup to run free into the uh, end zone. One of the stupider comments I've heard made in a while. It was bad play calling and bad coverage. It was a bad coverage call. And that goes back into the coaching of Shane Bowen, who picked up right where he left off in 2020 as the nameless defensive coordinator. Spare me that. This isn't a player issue. This is a coaching issue, by the way. So there are, what, 15 lies that got exposed that they've told us all offseason? There was like 15 lies they've told us all offseason that got exposed, and that was one of them. <laughs> so It's like a BuzzFeed article, like a yeah. BuzzFeed click, clickbait article. 15 lies the Titans told. I, I do think that there is, there, there is hope for both sides of this ball. It's not all it's, – it's game one. Yeah. It's week one. And we're definitely going to – I definitely want to hit on the, the hope here at the end but i will say that i think the titans defense looked a whole lot better than they have in years past even though the score does not reflect it and even though they allowed three third down touchdowns so the the bullet points you had on here which i really liked and obviously we just covered the first part was the defense really that bad or the cardinals that good so here's this is the part that pisses me off about the game but not the fact that they played bad because I have to make it about me is that it causes me to do two things. I don't want to do a, admit I'm wrong and B give credit to people. I don't want to give credit to. I love watching Hopkins play. I can't stand watching him play because he always makes these circus ridiculous catches against the Titans and drives a dagger into your chest. I can't stand Kyler Murray. I think he's a short asshole. 
I, I, I don't think he's going to ultimately achieve the elite status in the NFL. And I think he's a dick and I don't like JJ. Watt. he likes to stare into the camera too much and make it about himself. And all the Titans did was make all three of these players look good and make me admit that us mocking JJ Watt going to Arizona was probably misplaced because him paired up with Chandler Jones looks like a fucking problem and not just a problem for the Titans, but for the rest of the league, that NFC West suddenly looks pretty damn beefy. And that looks like a killer front. They've got with Jones and Watt. Kyler Murray is doing the right things. If he stops throwing it to AJ green, he'll do himself a favor, (laughs) but They've got Hopkins, who looks like he's ready to ball again. Kyler Murray is moving the ball efficiently, and they've got a front on that D that looks like they can cause problems for probably most any team in the league. And I think the Cardinals are that good. Again, it's one game. Again, maybe they did expose a a bad Titans defense that we'll just have to figure out later on in the season. But I I think the Cardinals are are probably that good. And I, I think the Cardinals are going to be a problem. They look like a playoff contender. Based on week one, they look like a playoff contender. Well, you know, when I was looking at bets for the week, you know, obviously my uh, Chester Rogers would have been a touchdown if, you know, if Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, if Ryan Tannehill would have uh, led him a little bit, he would have would have had that touchdown. Um, but the um, – the other bet was Derrick Henry under 100.5 yards, and it ended up being 105.5 uh, by game time. Well, uh, did no has nobody ever watched Derrick Henry in September? Right. And especially in the first game. And did anybody even check to see what these linebackers looked like? These guys are massive. Every one of them are – this got to be Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, uh, or well, JJ Watts defensive line, uh, Marcus Golden, Zaven Collins, and Isaiah Simmons. I believe is is Isaiah Simmons. I don't think it is. Yes, maybe. I don't know the other inside linebacker. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, the they are all huge. They have to be the biggest four linebackers that start on a team in the league. Have to be. This was a recipe for disaster for Derrick Henry to have a big game. And and he doesn't really ever hardly have a big game unless there's volume to be had. The only reason he reached over 100 yards last year in Denver is because he carried the ball 31 times. And I believe everybody was saying at that point in time, there's no way you could sustain that kind of stuff with Derrick Henry, giving him 31 touches and blah, blah, blah. The game plan did not allow for that. They were determined to stop Derrick Henry. And you're right. This Arizona Cardinals defense looks legit. Now, they're going to run into a smarter team eventually that is going to say, hey, I should do some quick passing routes on this shitty-ass defensive backfield that they are laying out. Obviously, we were not that smart team. You know, I I did say earlier that this uh, wasn't an Art Smith play-calling team. It didn't look like that. It looked like an Art Smith offense, but not a play call. Uh, the play calling wasn't very Art Smith. Let me retract. This is very much Art Smith in going up against the Panthers in Tampa Bay when he decided that he's going to go up against their best run defenses in Tampa Bay back in 2019 and pound the ball and not move the, move the ball on offense. 
And then he's going to turn around and go up against the Carolina Panthers, who have the worst run defense and the best pass defense and just pass the ball. So this was technically a good Art Smith game in that respect. The fact that Todd Downey decided, I'm not going to really challenge these defensive backs appropriately with good play calling. I'm just going to do the same old, same old and be predictable Tennessee Titans offense, which has me worried how much of the involvement does Mike Vrabel have in this offense? Because we know Todd Downing is a beta male because back in Oakland, he let Jack Del Rio and Mike Tice run his offense in 2017. So has Mike Vrabel asserted his dominance over Todd Downing and this offense? Stay tuned. I'm sorry. I got, I got really tickled when you talk about running up against a Sparta team because I immediately thought about the Titans or just that team this week that were eating their own buggers, <laughs> coloring on the desk. There were a bunch of Zach Mettenbergers on the yes, sideline. Yeah, exactly. You get your ass sacked to the ground, and so what do you do? You hook up with the coach's daughter. Um, so I, we got to talk about the positives. We, we got we to leave on, on some hope because I do think there's some legitimate hope there. You know, you you laid on the couch with. Okay, hang on, that sounds fucking awful. Uh, you, you, we've put you through therapy now, so let's let's look at the positives together. Is it? Can you panic about the way they looked in this game? Yes. Is it time for fans to start going full blown crazy, asking for people to be fired? I told you so. Blah blah blah. No, it's not. And and because it goes back to this is week one. Do I like the fact that this team is going to have to find a way to get adjusted and to find a better locker room culture or whatever the fuck it is starting after week one? No, I'm not. But this is the kind of humbling loss that a good team, and I still believe this is a good team, should take back and say, wow, we we just got pantsed on live TV. I mean, junk and ass cheeks out there for everyone to see. This is embarrassing. We got to do something about it. So I, I, I still believe that that locker room culture exists for them to take a hard look at themselves and say that it was shit and we don't want to do that again. So I do believe that the, the, there is some positive in there that, that's, that this group, this team can learn from their mistakes and build off of it. I still don't even think it's time to freak out about coaching as a whole, you know, Todd Downing, Shane Bowen, Vrabel, we, we know there's evidence of Vrabel not wanting to change, but Downing and Bowen, this is the first look we're going to get at them this year, this season of them being able to adjust on their own. So I still believe Vrabel's a, a great head coach. Do I think he meddles? It seems like he does, but I still think he's a great head coach. And I do think that he is one of those groups of people that I mentioned that will learn from this. So it, it, it truly is one game. And after you listen to this podcast, you can turn it off and think to yourself, okay, it, it, this we're getting past this. And either way, it, it's truly on to Seattle, blah, blah, blah. But Well, I'm just, on the Indianapolis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe, maybe Seattle's a bad example. But uh, I, I do – I mean, I, I, I stick with the fact that it's, it's one game. And then it's, it's one game with a group that we have seen succeed on offense – and that has the tools to be better on defense, not just a collection of morons that didn't get any better from last season. The tools are there. 
I'm it's nodding my head. Nobody can see it, but I'm nodding my head in agreement throughout that whole thing because we we've been here before. We've yes. seen the Tennessee Titans do this, right? Yes. They, did everybody forget the mess that was the Cincinnati Bengals game? What about Denver Broncos in 2019 when me and you sat in your kitchen to record a podcast and we'd rather talk about the Denver airport than talk about the fucking game? <laughs> So about that. Yeah. So we we've all as as fans, as media analysts, we've all been here before. This is not a team that's going to 0-17. And I really don't think anybody thinks they're going to 0-17, but this is a team that's going to trounce the Texans. It's going to trounce the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, give me a break that, oh, you better not see anybody talking any shit. This team could lose to the Texans and the Jaguars. No, they couldn't. They're they're not going to. When it comes around on the schedule, they're not going to. This is a team that sometimes starts slow and is a little sloppy and they lose games they shouldn't and win games they shouldn't, which probably means that Mike Vrabel is going to have this team fired up and ready to go and they're going to somehow go all the way over to the West Coast in Seattle and beat the shit out of the Seattle Seahawks just to make us all look stupid, right? I mean, isn't that the whole point of Mike Vrabel's existence is to make everyone else look stupid? That's what I feel like he's put on this earth for is just to make people feel like shit and like dummies. And please, he's like, please count us out because I'm going to make you look stupid. I, I do have a few concerns. I, of course, third down defense is always going to be a concern until they can prove that it's not. I have concerns with Mike Vrabel's comments and how about Julio Jones yesterday talking about dumb shit and talking about him doing dumb shit things and how Julio Jones is going to respond to that. I do have a concern about that. Yeah, and no, I do too. is Julio Jones going to respond positively to that? And, and hearing those comments and hearing him be alluded to or referenced to his actions as dumb shit. Does Hula Jones take accountability and view that what he did was actually dumb shit? <laughs> Does he turn around? Is he is he going to mentally shut down? Because there are diva wide receivers that do that, right? They don't like what's being said about them or they don't like how they're being handled or treated by their coaches or their quarterbacks or this or that. And they do end up, you know, taking a lot of plays off. And Julio Jones is known for taking plays off. He's known for taking himself out of games sometimes. I am a little concerned about that. And now maybe, listen, I full, I am fully aware that I'm probably reading too much into it. But I think there is, there could be something there. Hopefully, he responds positively. Hopefully, Taylor Lewan comes back and bounces back. And this team has a good game against a Seattle Seahawks that gave Quentin Nelson and all these guys on the Colts offensive line, a little bit of problem. I I want, I think that this team can rebound and be at least show life and show competitiveness. But in all honesty, I'm probably not going to bet on anything on this game other than a DK Metcalf anytime touchdown and a Tyler Lockett anytime touchdown and a Gerald Everett anytime touchdown because all three of those guys are probably walking away with the touchdown. Might as well throw Chris Carson because they're all scoring touchdowns in this game at this point in time. And that's okay because if, if, if the Titans, as long as the Titans offense shows up, that's what we've always said about this team is that this defense just needs to be it needs to be a, a top 20 defense. It doesn't need to be top 10. 
they need to be top 20. The, the thing is that the offense needs to be top five, and it was definitely bottom five this last go around. So that's the focal point. The offense has to get right. It will get right. There is no way that a team consisting of a healthy Ryan Tannehill, a healthy Derrick Henry, a healthy Julio Jones, and a healthy uh, A.J. Brown does not eventually get right. That That is what you want to see this weekend. Sure, you want to see a win. And listen, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised and enjoyable. See, it's playing the long game. Get your hopes down that Seattle's going to and say that Seattle's going to blow the Titans out and then be pleasantly surprised when they only lose by, you know, three or four points, right? You know, or if they win, you're even even happier, right? So to me, it's about seeing the offense take the necessary steps and strides to be what they were supposed to be in week one. They they That seemed like a preseason game. That was like a tryout game and whatever, you know, Julio Jones is going to have to make those contested catches because that is what is required of him in in an offense like this. This offense requires you to make a lot of contested catches. So he's going to have to get used to that. And I think he will. I think this offense will start clicking. And I'm not saying that they're going to win, but I at least think that they're going to put up some points on the board and look a lot more competent than what they did against Arizona. The only uh, big issue that's really hindering them is that they're having to travel all the way to the West Coast. Traditionally, teams that go from the East to the West and the West to the East traditionally don't have great, great times there. Right. Here's my last piece of positivity. Positivity, as I say that correctly. And it's anecdotal, but I don't care. It's our show. The Titans seem to have a pattern to where when they get hyped up, and fans clamor and say, oh, look, the national media is paying attention to them. It's about time, blah, blah, blah. The Titans find a way to remove their pantaloons and spray the bed with shit. So look at it this way. The, the media is having a good time laughing about how bad the Titans looked. We're all in our feelings about how bad the Titans were on offense and defense and pretty much every sector of the game. So the Titans are bound to rebound and all of a sudden start playing like superstars as the national media completely fucking forgets about them. So th there's that. And even though it's anecdotal, there's actually a lot of evidence behind that for some reason. So look at it positive that the Titans got exposed and they usually find a way to under the radar suddenly become a good team again. Yeah, barring injuries... You shouldn't give up on this team. No, hell no. That hell was probably no. as worse as it as it gets, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think the positive side of starting out that bad is that this is a unit that we know that when they gel, they gel well, and they look phenomenal. So I really do think there's a lot of upside. I don't know that that upside is going to come against Seattle. I don't, but I, I I think that as this team, you know progresses down the road they will gel they will find that culture and i think they're going to turn back into the dominant offense that we remember just don't get in your feelings that they start owing to like don't start calling for people to be fired don't say this team's crap don't say julio's crap all that kind of stuff we have not seen enough evidence to make those claims yet they yeah i thought it was going to be one and one after this week yeah. i thought that we were we're going to see the tennessee titans beat the arizona cardinals and they were going to go on the road to Seattle, which is a very good Seattle team, and and probably lose, and then come back and go on a big win streak. Unfortunately, maybe they just flip flop those, right? And that's what this team does. 
they they flip flop wins that they shouldn't flip flop. Folks, we've talked your face off for an hour, but we hope it helps because you know we had to go through therapy right along with you. We had to scream about kickers and coaches and get some shit off our chest, and uh, and it helps. But again, don't don't freak out yet. There's no reason to call for people to be fired. The sky is not falling, not yet. This team and has got you, time to get it back together. If you need a therapist, I've heard that Cam Newton's dad is perfect. He'll tell you everything that you want to hear, and he will let you lead you down a path where you look sort of good, I guess, because to me, Cam Newton did not come off sounding really smart in any form or fashion. First off, I didn't and we gotta touch on this before we go. I know, I know you I know you wanted it in the show, but I couldn't get out without well I just I, did, I, I was suddenly looking at the timer and realizing we've gone an hour, but you know what? You can deal with this for another five minutes because I, I do have to bring this up. First off, I didn't know that that was Cam Newton's father interviewing him until like an hour after I saw someone initially posted, which a retrospective interview with your parent can be a neat and good thing, but maybe this is unfair because I don't know much about his dad, but when I hear his father speak, the first thing that pops in my head is a lot of the way Cam Newton acts makes a lot of sense now uh, because his dad seems to be kind of a prima donna, but I digress without criticizing people's fathers too much. <laughs> Cam Newton can't go on camera and say things like, I've never had to identify Mike. 30 out of 32 teams, their quarterbacks don't do that. I'm completely running a system that I'm not used to, and that's why I didn't look good. And his father just sitting there nodding his head, oh, yeah, you're completely right, son. You've never had to identify coverage. Listen, I, I am one of those that I have thrived under Zach and Mike Herndon talking about the X's and O's of football because I'm not the most knowledgeable about the X's and O's. And I can tell you that that is a straight bullshit comment. I Even I know that quarterbacks identify coverage. Does the center call it out? Yes, absolutely. But all you have to do is watch any NFL game for long enough and you will hear the words Mike come out of most quarterbacks' mouths at some point during the game. Cam Newton, you're full of shit. You're completely full of shit. And what this looks like to me, if I was a GM or a head coach for any team in the NFL now, I would be looking at this and saying, this is exactly why I don't want you on the team. This right here, the way he acted in this interview is, is one of the prime examples of why I, I did not, I knew it was never going to be a chance, but why I pushed back on the whole fans clamoring for God, Cam Newton would be such a great backup quarterback in Tennessee. You don't want that in your locker room. That guy's not going to sit behind a starting quarterback. He's going to sit behind a starting quarterback and cause a bunch of fucking problems. He's going to be pissed off and he's going to be making comments like this. Cam Newton I mean, is he about even Cam admitted Newton. it. <laughs> like yeah. he admitted that he's he a bad teammate. That. Yeah. Cam Newton's going to be Cam Newton. Cam Newton only cares about Cam Newton. What was the quote he said, Zach, about, I'm going to fuck it up, but he, he said something about the teams, teams know what they're getting when they're getting to Cam Newton. You're getting the, he said something about the aura. mysterious aura yeah, and I was just it can't like, be contained or something. This guy is just walking around with a CPAP machine full of his own farts, breathing it all day. It's unreal. I just, dude, he's a disaster of a teammate. I feel like, and it, you nailed it. The comment you left in our group that was talking about this of this, 
Cam Newton, the way he plays and the struggles he's had suddenly makes a lot of sense. He says the truth of the matter is Mac would have been uncomfortable. He would have because he's such a huge figure. My aura is my gift and my curse. When you bring a Cam Newton to your facility, when you bring a Cam Newton to your franchise, people are interested by mere fact of who is he? Why does he wear his hair? Why does why does he wear his hair? Why does he talk? Why do, what? Why I didn't know, I haven't seen this part. So this is the first time I'm reading it. Why does he perform? Why does all these questions? Give me a break. And the fact that Mac Jones was teaching him the playbook. I mean, you admit, I don't know what Cam Newton hoped to accomplish with this other than he's the laughing stock of the whole community. And anybody that was a Cam Newton defender that wanted him on their team, and I'm one of those guys, looks pretty fucking stupid. I'm very thankful that he's not on this team because this guy is a disaster. I mean, he basically admits that... He is so egotistical that he thinks that his ego and his aura is just too powerful that he is a distraction as a backup. Well, let me say this. The Washington football team just had their starting quarterback go down. Ron Rivera was Cam Newton's coach for the longest time. They would rather roll over in Washington with Taylor Heineke or Heineke. I don't know how you pronounce the last name. We'll go Heineke. Taylor Heineke and... Uh, Kyle Allen as their quarterbacks, then bring in Cam Newton. Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know about Cam Newton currently is that his own former coach does not want him to come into their team because he thinks that he, Cam Newton, would hurt more than he will help and or he's just not good and he's just not worth the headache. And I will say this. Now, that could change. Obviously, in a couple of days, Ron Rivera could. <laughs> this, they're going to sign him this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Ron Rivera, after I said that, Ron Rivera is going to sign him and speak the praises of Cam Newton, which is fine. But let someone else deal with these headaches. I, I'm out on Cam Newton. I am still. I was still in on Antonio Brown being here. Mr. Big Chest, I, I, I would still wish that you know he had ended up here in Tennessee somehow. But I am very glad that Cam Newton – is far away from this franchise. You know, it's funny, Antonio Brown. And I, and I hate that because I loved Cam Newton before this no, and, drastic interview that sucked. Well, and I'm with you about like that. I, I I felt like maybe I was being unfair about Cam Newton because I couldn't separate the attitude and the mentality from the the way he plays, right? Because Ultimately, that's what it's about. And I think you have to be an egotistical person or a borderline egotistical person to be an elite athlete. I mean, look, Kobe Bryant, rest his soul. The guy was arrogant and egotistical. You know why? Because that's the kind of stuff that you have to tell yourself that you know you're better than everybody else. You have to understand that and play to your strengths. I kind of felt that maybe that's what Cam Newton is trying to tap into. What I feel about Cam Newton now is that I feel like he's the type of the pro athlete that feels like that he just has to show up and put on a uniform and walk onto the field and shit's going to work. And that you don't have to actually practice and drill and make the playbook work for you. I feel like he thinks he can just walk out there and make the playbook somehow just magically flow by just saying hut, getting the ball and going nuts 
that's not how this works. And, and I think that's, I think you're dead on about it. And I really, really hope that Ron Rivera doesn't focus on this, but I just, I think you're exactly right about Ron Rivera sees that they need a QB and he's not even willing to give his former quarterback a call. I think that says a lot. And I, I really think that his comments in that one interview with his dad really, really identified why Cam Newton struggles. Cam Newton struggles because of Cam Newton. I wish there was a way, though, to be able to figure out how many inside linebackers have sacked Cam Newton over the years. You mentioned I wish there was an easy, yeah, I wish there was an easy way because that would explain so much. What if the majority of his sacks came from inside linebackers because he doesn't know what the fuck he's looking at on the other side of the field? Who admits that? Who would, let me just, the sheer stupidity of this fucking interview that he went through, set through it, and did it, edited it, and watched it back and said, release it this makes me look great the the just it's unbelievable that he literally sat down and did this looked at it and said i love it i look great teams are gonna want me they're gonna want that guy who has hair like he put it why does he have why does he have hair why does he have hair (laughs) why is it sticking out of the top of his hat like a reindeer i so you mentioned antonio brown and then i'm I'm gonna let us go (laughs) but I got to say, man, I, I, you mentioned about how you, you had to admit you're wrong about Cam Newton. I'm, I'm probably wrong about Antonio Brown. Now, here's the only caveat. I kind of feel like that Tom Brady is exactly what Antonio Brown needed from a personal standpoint, from somebody, Tom Brady of all people, to sit down and look at Antonio Brown and say, listen, if you can find a way to get your personal life in check, buddy, we can rip off a couple of Super Bowl rings together, and I know that's what you want. And I really feel like that that's probably exactly what Antonio, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's exactly what Antonio Brown needed to hear. But damn, Zach, you want to talk about overreacting from week one. I look at the way Antonio Brown is playing football with Tom Brady. And my first thought was these bastards are going to repeat and win the Super Bowl, and they're going to look good doing it. And Antonio Brown may end up looking like the Antonio Brown we remember from Pittsburgh when he was balling out. And that really bothers me. And I hate to admit I'm wrong, but I think I'm wrong. <laughs> and I think he should have been here. <laughs> so some players are worth the headache. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and and maybe Tom Brady was the only horse whisperer that could get to him. I, I'm not and sure. There's a good chance that you're probably about, right in that. No, but it's like I watched them play and I can't help but think, man, I think Brady's got another Super Bowl in him. And I think Antonio Brown's going to be a big, big part of that. Oh, God, it makes me gross thinking about that. But I got to say, Tampa Tom, kind of kind of enjoyable to watch now. New, New England Tom drove me up the wall. Tampa Tom's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. We've been recording for an hour and 10 minutes. I'm sorry. We need to let you all go. We, 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 have, we have captured a lot of your time today. We've had some laughs, some fun. We hope you've enjoyed it. I'm sorry, that was really stupid. We just don't know what else to do with ourselves because we had to watch a really terrible ass game together. But we're on to week two. Maybe we should say week three. But we're on to week two. So enjoy your week. Thank you for sticking with us. Football and other F words. Rate, review, and subscribe. But most importantly, please tell your friends and relatives and neighbors that you listen to us and share with them if you like it. If you don't, don't know why you're still here. But uh, football and other F words. Thank you as always. You've just been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.